0: What's going on? Welcome to another episode of the If You Mark in Your Bible podcast. I'm your host Josh, and today we are looking at Jeremiah chapter 29 verses 11 through 14. With us today to share his thoughts and discuss this with me is my friend and fellow classmate at the Memphis School of Preaching, John Exum. John is the preacher at the Hannibal Church of Christ in Hannibal, Missouri. John would tell you, it's a little something about yourself.
1: Well, as Josh said, I preach for the church at Hannibal, and I um, also uh, host Friday night digital Bible study, Younger Preachers Connect. Although sometimes uh, during that program, we might have some older guys show up there, but I consider them at that point young at heart. And so uh, that that's good for for that program. And I'm married to my wife, Carly, and she is a big help to, to my ministry, and I enjoy doing the Lord's work.
0: That's great that's great i enjoyed my time with jonathan uh in uh while we were in school um i can attest that he is a bulwark uh, for the truth and so we're happy to have him on and uh, again thank you for coming on as mentioned earlier we're discussing jeremiah chapter 29 verses 11 through 14 you'd be hard pressed if you if you were to just to google Bible verse decorations and just put the word Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 is going to be the one that usually pops up. Uh, It's probably the most well-known, most popular passage uh, from Jeremiah. Just to give a brief context of what is going on, uh, Jeremiah is writing this letter to uh, the exiles. There were three waves of captivity When the Babylonians came in to take Judah into captivity, one in 606 BC, the other in 597 BC, and then the last one in 586 BC, where the temple and Jerusalem were destroyed uh, by Nebuchadnezzar and his army. Jeremiah, uh, speaking the words of God, is uh, conveying this message to uh, those who are about to go into exile. Uh, And he writes this letter with the intent to give them hope. Uh, And if you look at verse 10 of this chapter, uh, which really kicks off this section, it says, For thus saith the Lord, when 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And so God, through Jeremiah, is telling uh, the Those who are going into exile, that it's only a temporary captivity. They still have a purpose. He intends to bring them back after 70 years, uh, and then he will, and he does that. We know uh, because we have the fulfillment of this particular prophecy uh, in the word uh, and through historical records that 70 years after they were taken into captivity, God brought them back uh, to Judah. What do you have as far as the context, Jonathan, or verse ten at least?
1: Well I marked where it says fulfilled. I put a dash and put the year five thirty six BC. Um and then I circled all the Us to get the audience who he's speaking to. Because I to me that's very important to to know the audience and the the the, the person to whom he's writing. And then where it says place, I drew a line and put Jerusalem slash so Judah, and also specific to Judah, no premill.
0: Oh, okay. That that's good, and and, and uh, I like that you brought up the, the the word you, the second person pronoun. I looked it up uh, between this section, verse uh, verse ten, and going to verse fourteen. What's interesting is, is in verse, the first person pronoun, uh, so God speaking, using the first person pronoun is found 16 times. And what else is interesting is the second person pronoun, you, is found 16 times. And I think that illustrates for us a reciprocation uh, between the two. Uh, God has the intention of doing this, but there's something that's required of the people of judah as well it's not just a, a one-sided there is there is uh something that is expected by god and if they meet those expectations they follow those commands they obey what he tells them to do then these are the things that he will do for them uh so i'm glad you brought that up going on to verse 11 it says for i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And uh, as far as how I mark this up, uh, I circled the two word plans. Uh, and in the Hebrew, those are those are things that are intentional. These aren't arbitrary. These are things that God had intended to do uh, long before they even reached this point. We serve an omniscient God. You go to Acts, I believe it's 15 verse 18. Known unto God are all his works from the creation of the earth, the creation of the world. Uh, and so he knew uh this captivity would last the way it would, and uh it would the way it would, and he would uh, bring them back after seventy years to fulfill their ultimate purpose of bringing the Messiah into the world and so I just circled those two word plans, drew an arrow, and put noon uh comma intentional, and then I put Daniel chapter four verse seventeen twenty five and 32 as well as daniel 5 verse 21 but in daniel chapter 4 nebuchadnezzar says three times that the most high rule rules in the kingdom of men uh and i think this is uh this is a testament to that because god intended to bring them back and he did exactly when he like you mentioned uh 70 years after they went into uh captivity God brings them back exactly like he said he would. I also circled the word welfare uh, at the end uh, or in the middle of verse 11. For I know the plans uh, I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare. And some versions may use the word peace, uh, same thing. But I drew an arrow back up to verse 7 where it says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And I think this is an important lesson, not only to those in Judah at the time that they were going into captivity, but I think the application or the principle of the application transfers to us today. Everybody wants the peace of God. Everybody wants the welfare that God provides. But typically, and if we're not careful, and and, and I'm just speaking for myself, We find ourselves in a position where we desire that welfare, but we want that welfare on our terms. We want how, how we think it should come about. And here God is telling them, I have plans for you, plans for welfare, but that welfare is going to happen in the place, and how I determine it's going to come about. Because if you look at Judah, the Jews at this particular time, I would argue that they probably wanted welfare, but they wanted welfare in Judah. Whereas in God's telling them to go into exile, willingly go into exile. When you get into exile, pray for the city in which you live. Pray that it experiences peace. Pray that it experiences welfare. And in doing so, you will find welfare in that place. They're not going to find welfare in Judah where they wanted it. They're going to find welfare in Babylon, where God determined where it would take place. What do you got?
1: I have written above the word plans, uh, Ephesians 3, 8 through 12, talking about God's plan through Jesus from before the foundation of the world. And as I did with verse 10, I circled the U, and I put by what says a future and a hope. I put a line and wrote Messiah through that. I was thinking, I was thinking about this too, because it make sure to put it in the context. A lot of people take stuff out of context and immediately apply to our day. For example, I've heard someone say, well, I know the plans I have for you. Well, God wants me to work at Taco Bell. Now that's right. not what the passage is saying. Now you might can make, you may can make a general application from it that, God has made the plan for Jesus, and that plan is for everybody. But as far as specific places of work or things like that, that we can't. I guess one can say we can't determine from that, from the context.
0: No, then that's a great point, and, and that's. It's important to keep in mind the hermeneutical practices and and rules that apply, and nothing in in this may be and this. Nothing in the Bible was written directly to us today, if that makes sense. Um, Everything was written to a specific audience. Now, it's our duty today to study the Word, study, like you said, the context, which involves the time period in which it's written, the characteristics of the author, uh, Jeremiah in this case, and the characteristics of the audience to whom he wrote. And he's not. Well, none of us were taken into, into Babylonian captivity. None of us were Babylonian exiles or Judah Jewish exiles in Babylon. Uh, that's who this is written to. So you're exactly right. The plans that Jeremiah is talking about here, from the mouth of God, doesn't apply to us today in a direct sense. This applies to the Jews in. Uh, in the time of Jeremiah, that were' being taken into Babylonian Babylonian exile, so that's how the direct message now, like you mentioned, we can take the general principle of the matter. Does God have plans for us today? Yes, now, do do I think that his plans involve uh all the way to the detail where I jump in my car and and I drive uh wherever I'm going to go today and he had that planned out for me no uh, now there may be some providential care involved in it but like you mentioned earlier the ultimate plan is that all reach salvation all come to repentance Second Peter 3 and verse 9 uh, and that came about because of the plans that he had for Judah to preserve them as a nation to bring the Messiah the future and the hope bring the Messiah into the world uh, and to offer forgiveness of sins for all men if they obey what they're supposed to so the principle of of obeying uh applies to all but you're absolutely right the context in which we're in applies only to those who are about to go into exile uh under the the rule of babylon another thing i did is is i put i uh, underlined to give you a future and a hope and i just put contrast with lamentations one and verse nine uh, where it says that they did not consider their future at all, uh, and I think that's uh, something here. Keep the future in mind, and and again in the context, like you mentioned, returning from Babylonian captivity into Jerusalem, and eventually the Messiah being brought into the world through the seed of Abraham uh, by them and Judah, like that. Uh, but it applies to us today in the sense that our future, and our hope lies in heaven, which was given to us by this future and hope that he gave in Jerusalem. I also have the, just the phrase next to this, look at the big picture, the same picture that God is looking at. Sometimes we focus on our lives from a knothole as just this one certain incident that I'm in, involved in at this moment. Uh, garners all my attention when if we would step back and try and look at it from a a much broader perspective things start to make sense a little bit and if you if you're a jew about to go into captivity and you're looking at just that little portion of we're about to go into captivity it can get pretty discouraging but if you step back the way god steps back and you understand that in 70 years we're going to come back to jerusalem we're going to come back to judah we're going to rebuild And in doing so, we are going to prepare, uh, the temple is going to be rebuilt. And while the temple didn't have the grandeur, uh, or the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The magnificence of Solomon's temple, uh, Zerubbabel's temple, uh, the Messiah, God himself in, in incarnate form would step foot in the temple that they were going to rebuild. And I think that's an encouraging Uh, thought there as well you have anything else on verse 11
1: that's all i have on verse 11
0: that's good stuff john um verses 12 and 13 then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and i will hear you you will seek me and find me and when you seek me with all your heart what do you have there
1: i have again circling the use um i put by verse twelve acts two twenty one and thirty eight talks about calling on the name of the lord, and then the, uh what the calling of the name of the Lord is is to repent and be baptized and also acts twenty two sixteen where that same phrase is used um verse thirteen i have matthew seven seven mark where jesus said uh asking uh asking you uh yeah. How it goes now, but ask seek and knock. Mm-hmm. You know, Sermon on the Mount. I have that marked there as well. And I underline search or seek for me with your all with your with all your heart. Uh huh. And, and I put equivalent to uh, love the Lord you God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength.
0: That's good. That's good. I underlines. Uh, Come, underline pray, you will call, underline call, so then you will call, come, pray, and then the next one, seek, uh, in both instances, you will seek me and when you seek me. And the point that we want to make with these verses, or these words, is these are actions on behalf of Judah, uh, the people of Judah. In other words, they, they can't just sit back and wait for God to come to them. There's actions that are required of them. They're going to have to call upon God. They're going to have to come to him. They're going to have to pray to him. They're going to have to look for him. But if they do all that, and they do it, and I like that you've underlined the fact, or underlined the phrase, with all your heart. If they do it sincerely, God's not hiding from them. God's not uh, turning his ear from them. Uh, God says that I will hear you and I will be found by you. If you do what you're supposed to do, uh, then uh, you will receive the things uh, that I promised unto you. I, I underline that phrase, I will hear you. And I just threw an arrow and I just put uh contrast with Jeremiah 11:14 14 and Jeremiah 14, 11, where God told Jeremiah, don't pray for these people. Uh, here he's saying, uh to pray and so forth. Um and I also underlined that word or circled that word all at the end and I put full dedication Colossians three and verse seventeen. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, and so what's interesting about this though, and, and this is going to carry on in verse fourteen <laughs> is all these things that God is telling them to do in these passages were things that were required of them before they went into exile. And what's interesting about it is had they done these things before the Babylonian exile, they never would have gone into exile. God never would have punished them. And And I think this is a testament to the consistency of God in the sense that Even though they sinned, even though they rebelled, even though they committed themselves to idolatry, God still requires of them exactly what he required of them from the beginning. And that's the same thing for us today as far as just a principle being applied to us today. The things that are required of me personally are the same things required of you and the same things required of everyone in the audience. You and I aren't going to achieve salvation or achieve the promises of God any different ways than what he has set forth for everyone, as far as the standard goes. Now, there may be differences in how we reach obedience and how we come to uh, an understanding of what we're supposed to do. But the reality is, is everyone today who is going to be saved is going to be saved the way God has set forth from the get-go nothing changes with culture nothing changes with time nothing changes with technology nothing changes uh with the way society turns or the way society thinks or anything like that everything if you run through uh the day of pentecost in acts chapter two all the way to the day of judgment when jesus returns there's going to be a common thread that runs throughout and it's going to remain the same every person that's Saved today will be saved the way they were saved in the first century and if the lord continues uh or allows or wills that the world continue on for another two thousand years then in the year four thousand twenty three the people will be saved the same way we're being saved today and, and 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 that's to me one of the most encouraging things or characteristics about our god is that he is consistent there's no change and, and there's nothing uh from a deviation standpoint that will prevent us from entering in uh, if we're willing to do what he uh, requires us to do. you have anything else on 12 and
1: 13? Um, yeah, nothing else but I would say that I agree with you on um, what you said about God being consistent because he's always wanted our whole heart. He's always always wanted us to come to him and that's saying both the old and the new.
0: Absolutely.
1: And it's throughout.
0: And he's always wanting to bless his people, his creation. Um, we'll be doing, I think the next episode is Isaiah 59, verses 1 through 3. Uh, and that's the whole premise of that. Uh, that section of scripture. You know, it's not that God's incapable. It's not that God's unwilling. But it's what you've done that has prevented uh, all of this. And so, very good point. Verse 14. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. What do you have there on 14?
1: Again, as I've been consistently doing, I have the U's circled, and I marked by return, again, 536 BC, that's the when it's completed. Of course, so there's three different waves of return. I also put by this verse the book of Nehemiah, where their return they rebuild the temple, and also I made a note, not post cross, because a lot of God, a lot of men in our religious world will take this to mean that God is still waiting to accomplish this in the future, so He's going to gather everybody over in Israel and He's going to rebuild the temple and so on and so forth. And again, as context says, that can't be what God is saying. He's talking about those specifically here in the context.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up uh, because there are some premillennialistic tones that will, not tones, but those who buy who into the premillennialistic doctrine that will come to this, and use this passage and so that's why like we mentioned earlier keeping it in the context um is very important uh, understanding that nothing here is written to us today uh and then understanding and, and we don't have time to get into it in this particular episode but that doctrine contradicts too many other passages throughout the bible and uh you have to take in order to push uh, the premillennialistic doctrine, you have to take things literally. And one of the rules of responsible hermeneutics is, is that if you translate something literally uh, and it contradicts, or the, if you try to translate it literally and it contradicts other facets of the Bible, then the the trans the interpretation is wrong. Uh, in this particular instance, to apply it to a premillennialistic uh, philosophy you have to take it out of the context in which it was written. You have to take it one way from the audience to whom it was written and apply it to the wrong audience. Uh, and so I'm glad you brought that up. I uh, I underlined, um, I have driven you, I have driven you uh, in verse 14. And then I also underlined, I will bring you back. Uh, to the place where I sent you into exile, so I underline I have driven you. I will bring you back, and I and I sent you into exile, and I just made the note that the exile was for their protection. We look back on the Babylonian exile, particularly in 586 BC. So God takes uh, a group of individuals, um, and I would just call it the remnant. Uh, in six oh six BC, six oh five, six oh six BC, and takes them. Daniel the prophet was one that was part of that group. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were part of that group, and he takes them in six oh six BC. Then, in five ninety seven BC, he takes another group. Babylon takes another group of exiles from Judah into Babylonian captivity, and he end, and then in five eighty six, the third wave of exiles goes into Babylonian captivity. And he insulates them in Babylon. And you read uh, books like Daniel and Ezekiel and so forth where they are in Babylon. What's going on in Judah during that time in 586 B.C.? Judah's being ransacked. The temple's being destroyed. Jerusalem's being destroyed. You go read the book of Lamentations and all that is involved. uh, Then uh, the hardship, in fact, Jeremiah would write in Lamentations that those who died by the sword were fortunate because those who were left were dying of hunger. And you just go read everything that was going on in Judah and Jerusalem during that time. You see that Jesus or I'm sorry, you see that God took this group of people and protected them in Babylonian captivity as he as the rest of Judah was being destroyed. And I think that's important because God's, and, and this is just God being in control of the entire situation. I put you there for their protection. 70 years later, he brings them back when it's safe to come back. Uh, and he's in control the entire time, which we establish in verse 11. The plans that he made were his plans from uh, the very beginning. And in nothing about it's arbitrary. God will deliver from where he put them. So he put them there, but he's going to bring them back. Uh, and verse 14 is a result, uh, of their obedience. Do you have anything else on there in verse 14?
1: I don't. I was just thinking about the, I also made a note. Well, it's necessary as a summary of these, these verses here that shows the providence of God working out throughout from the beginning to the end and you see god's promises being fulfilled and continued and that god does not go back on his promise he's going to fulfill his promise and even and, and also in this uh that sometimes we need discipline
0: i like that that's a great point um And I think that's interesting uh, Because He made the promise to Abraham Genesis chapter 12 initially And even though The descendants of Abraham Didn't have the same Dedication to God Most of them, not all of them uh, Even remember religious that thought he was the only Woman and God says you know There's 7,000 that haven't uh, bowed down to Bell or kissed uh, the feet of Bell So But the point being is Is because he is faithful in his promise, and he made that promise to Abraham, even though the nation of Israel as a whole didn't respect God the way Abraham respected him, what we find is God was still faithful to his promise with Abraham and and eventually brought the Messiah that would uh, bless the entire world. And I think, I think that's a great point, the providence of God. Uh, he doesn't work miraculously today. He doesn't work the same way he did do not speak to us the same way he did in the times of the old testament or the first century when the bible was being written but he's given us his fulfilled word and he still works in the kingdoms of men the way daniel said uh, or what daniel wrote in daniel chapter four uh nebuchadnezzar's words uh and he still cares for us today providentially speaking uh and so the 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 same faith that we today expected or 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 declare that judah should have had during this time is the fain- same faith we should have because it's the same god he works in the same way uh, and he has the same capability and willingness uh excellent point you have anything else well, that's great uh, that's a great way to close it. i appreciate that uh thank you again john for coming on uh appreciate that also uh, if you are listening thank you for listening Like, share, subscribe, uh, pass this on to your friends. Go look us up on social media and follow us there. Help this channel grow, help uh, get the word out, and we live out.